Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Sarah Beer. Hi Sarah, how's things? Hiya Kieran. Good, thank you. Yes, surviving yeah. lockdown. Yeah, I think it's got to that point now where kind of it's coming to an end, but it's not happening quickly enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of just absolutely that that still, waiting. Still need to be taking things a bit careful, don't mm. you? And, but um, yeah, it's big big day for me today because I had my hair cut. <laughs> how how did that? Very excited about. <laughs> so how did that go? What was that like? It was good. Yeah, it was very organised, one at a good, time. Good, good. You know, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I think as long as it's like organised and well structured, it's fine. I think. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to start by asking you, um, how did you first get interested in theatre? Right, well, um, through my mum, right. my mum was an English and drama teacher, uh, and she ran, she taught in the school I was in, cause, uh, I'm from St David's in West Wales, so she was teaching English and drama, and she set up a drama group, Yeah. which performed plays annually and you know did other things mm. um so yeah so that's that's where it comes from both me and my brother were very involved with the drama group uh so it started there and then when i left school um mum and i set up a uh theatre company an amateur right. company called cuffing players and um yeah and that kept that kept my sort of handing while I was uh, trying to decide what I was going to do. Did, did you have to be kind of coaxed into it initially or were you quite enthusiastic about it from the I'd outset? Always, always been, no, no coaxing required. <laughs> <laughs> always been very enthusiastic mm. and yes, couldn't get enough of it really. It was definitely my favourite thing. And when yeah. did you start kind of thinking, this is what I want to do as a career? Um, probably, I joined the, the Torch Theatre, uh, Youth Theatre, mm. um, down in Milford Haven, when I was 
14, 14, I think, somewhere like that. Um, and it was that, that sort of mixture of knowing it was what I wanted to do, but at the same time, um, having that sort of nagging voice that goes, you know, you won't be able to, you know, mm. you know it's not for you, it won't happen, da 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 da. Um, so it was when I was 16, I wrote to um, a certain Welsh College of Music and Drama right. and said, uh, I really want to act. Um, can you let me know how I go about uh, applying? Mm. This is my situation. And they wrote back and they said, uh, there is no point you applying because uh, we wouldn't audition you because there'd be no point because you'll never work. Because of your disability. Yeah. yeah. You won't be able to work so there's no point training you. So, yeah. think again. And I, <laughs> I suppose that was the attitude at that time because I don't it suppose... Was. Yeah, there well, were... quite a long time ago now. <laughs> but, I... um, yeah, that's that's what it was then. It was like, well, you'll never work, so what's the point? Right. So, um, so I was a bit thrown. Mm. wasn't sure. I did think about sort of going in, trying to do um, a sort of stage management course, but that had its own problems as well. Mm. So uh, I went off to the local tech college and did um, business studies right. and, and sort of secretarial skills um, just because I thought it would be useful, which, uh, as it turned out, it's been very useful. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so from there, I then... Um, the drama was very much something mm. I did on an amateur level with mm. um, with my mum's group right. uh, and also going up to work with my brother who'd done drama at university in Hull and when he left he set up a small touring company called Splash right. and um, I went and worked with them for a couple of months. And uh, how did um, how did you find the experience of touring and all that? Touring, uh, touring, I've always always loved it. Yeah, mm. I mean it was very small scale, yeah. but then when I um, my sort of breakthrough came with a, a job at Grey Eye, right? Um, as their, I was a project officer wasn't a performance role straight away um so i was working with their um youth theater yeah and sort of doing various projects around shows that they were touring and things um so yeah so that was that was my sort of breakthrough and then i worked i stayed up in london then for three years working with um other small-scale companies. Uh, and what was it like for you, um, having come from a situation where you were kind of excluded from from participation, to be working with 
and disabled led theatre company. And well, it, was, I, it was really exciting because I haven't had any experience up until then of working with a disabled led company and, you know, pretty much everything else I'd done, I'd been the only disabled person. Yeah. And it was because, you know, I was working with my mum or my brother or, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was it was a real eye-opener and, and it's how I became sort of politicised, I suppose, mm. within um, the disability arts movement. And did it kind of change your approach to making work you talk about, like, politicisation, where you can... <laughs> yeah, well, it was after... Yeah, because I did... Most of the work... I know all the work I did in London was um, with integrated companies. Right. Um, other than... As well as Grey Eye, then the others were integrated. Um... So it was when I came back to Wales and um, worked with the community arts team, that's when I was sort of trying to get, um, I'm doing more sort of awareness raising stuff and that's when yeah. I first became involved with Disability Arts Company right. okay. as a board member, yeah. And was that, how long had Disability Arts Company been in kind of operation at that point? At that point, probably, ooh, uh, nine, ten years, something like that. Okay, so it wasn't kind of, it already kind of existed and was kind of operating. Yeah, yeah, it was um, still um, ADPW then, Arts for disabled people in Wales right. because that had been um, sort of formed out of the um, year of the Disa International Year of Disabled People I think they called right. it um, in 1982 Was it still very kind of medical model at that point and not kind of do you know what I mean? At the, at the start, yeah, it was, but it, it's gradually, you know, it got, um, it was, it was disability-led fairly early on. Right. Yeah, the, the initial people that set it up weren't, but then um, they did see that it should be led by a disabled person. Um, and, um, and most of the board members were disabled or worked within sort of areas of disability. Mm. And uh, I'm going to move on slightly, um, but I wanted to ask you kind of how difficult was it for you to kind of break into the industry as an actor? Well, in some ways, you sort of feel as though. Um, you're still waiting, really. <laughs> you know, it's sort of it's yeah. strange. It comes and go. You know, mm. you're um, yeah. The, the the first um national tour I did with Grey Eye, 
which was in 94, um, with their production of Ubu, that was, that was when I sort of thought, oh, wow, mm. this is, you know, this felt sort of mainstream and that, even though it wasn't seen as mainstream, yeah. it felt to me like it was a big thing because we were touring all over the country and going to really lovely theatres and, yeah, it was, it was a very, very special project. Um, but then there's always, you know, and I was lucky, I went from grey eye to um, hijinks back in Cardiff, yeah. and then working with Theatre Yolo. Um, and then there was a, a big lull while I had my children, because mm. um, touring, which is what I've been yeah. doing, just isn't user-friendly when it comes to having a family really no so um so i'd sort of taken a step back mm. uh from performing and, and i and part of me thought i might not you know ever do mm. it again it was um uh, and were uh, you it, and were you going into kind of more arts admin kind of stuff yes yeah uh. it was it was when i got the the job with um Disability Arts Cymru, which is what 13 years ago now, and um, was asked to do work within the performing arts with the unusual stage school, and mm -hmm. um, and so I thought I might go more down the sort of uh, directing route with that which mm. I'd, I'd done sort of system directing and I did a bit of that yeah. with the USS and then I did directing eventually um, and I thought that was sort of going to be mm. the way it went you know um, but of course the wonderful Kate O'Reilly <laughs> yeah. knocked on my door and said how about having a go at this <laughs> which was the um, when she first started working on her deep monologues yeah. which now went back to 2009. How, how did you first meet Kate? Well, I first met Kate when we both started at Grey Eye at the same time, which is uh, 1987. Right. So I was there as this project officer role, and Kate was performing then with the, um, the company in their production of A Private View. Right. which did a big international tour. So we met then and we just sort of kept in touch mm. and bumped into each other over the years. And then um, yeah, it was when she started working on the Dean monologues. We'd done, we'd done a project um, in 2008, because she was a trustee of Disability Arts Cymru. Right. And, um, and I was saying, oh, I, oh, you know, I love peeling, I really want to do peeling. And she said, well, why don't we do a rehearsed reading? You know, just yeah. something as sort of, um, put it down as personal development. So we got, um, we got a small grant from the Arts Council and uh, me and Maggie and Kay Jenkins um, performed in the rehearsed reading of Peeling, which was brilliant. It was really yeah. good fun. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was after that then Kate said, oh, I'm starting work on the D monologues. Would mm. you like to be involved? So it's built up with all the other projects. 
did you did you find you were able to work with Kate quite well from the outset, or did, did yeah, yeah, we got you know we got similar uh, similar sort of outlook on things, and um, yeah, just work, just find it really easy mm. working with each other. You know, it's uh, it's a really good. It's developed into a really strong friendship yeah. partnership. Um, yeah, and you know that we have the we have the acting connections, and then we have the chaining ourselves to buses on the show. <laughs> Dan action. Yeah. <laughs> As well, you know. So, but yeah. is is there a point where those two things kind of can meet, like where where theatre well, turns into protest? Well, Kate's really wanted to do a project about sort of the history of the Dan Actions and yeah you know, into something but um yeah unfortunately it hasn't happened yet no. but I'm sure one day Hopefully. one day it will because it's there's so many stories around that you know yeah I don't know because it was and it was led by disabled artists mm. you know the whole movement came from the disability arts movement definitely and, and that is a story that kind of hasn't been told you know, it's no, not. That's right. I, I don't know if you saw the documentary on Netflix, Crip Camp, a few months yes. ago, but it's a similar kind of thing to that. Yeah, These yeah, stories yeah. need to kind of be told, whether it's in documentary form or in theatre or drama. But there are loads of stories out there that, that haven't been told in this way. No, people have done, people have done bits of films around. Um, yeah, documentary films around the Dan actions, but they've yeah. never done a a sort of um sort of uh, what am I sort of fictional story mm. drama out of it. Which, yeah, yeah, which it's, it's very exciting. Mm. And so hopefully that will happen. Hopefully, fingers um, crossed. In terms of um, a lot of kids' plays are kind of monologue-based, what do you think is the key to preparing a monologue as an actor and what are the kind of techniques that you use? Um, Yeah, it is quite different because you haven't got... uh, Another actor to sort of try things out with you know let's try and do this scene like this and like in the way that you might but um i mean it's i don't want to say it's easy but Mm. uh kate's writing is so sort of poetic and full of detail that actually there's usually something in there that um, grabs you quite quickly and sort of thinks right this is those couple of lines really give me an idea of the sort of character this might be yeah um, and it's still it's still about still about finding character in the way that any script is um, you just have to get it in there a bit quicker because you haven't got far to develop it normally you know uh, so awesome. I suppose it doesn't give as much scope for character development because you haven't got 
the other characters to bounce off or to kind of no. examine so what the relationships are. Yeah. Yeah, so you do have to find that that sort of hook quite early on and then, as mm. you say, I mean, I mean, it does depend on the length of the monologue, obviously, because, you know, I've done three-minute monologues and um, and then I've done Richard the Third. Yeah. You know, which is a monologue. <laughs> it's just hour and ten yeah. minutes. Um, and then and three different characters. Uh, when it's like an hour and ten minutes, are you kind of do you split that up into kind of dramatic beats so that do you know what I kind of mean? Do you, are you kind of breaking that down and kind of analysing it bit by bit as an actor? Yeah, well, with, with Richard the Third Redux, mm. I played um, three different personas. Mm. Well, three main, a couple more than that, but three <laughs> main personas, okay. which was um, the, the girl from West Wales who um, always wanted to be an actor, the, the sort of, um, so she had, she had what we call stories from Nans, which is all about her growing up yeah. and her relationship with her grandmother. And then there was um, the sort of uh, actress that um, she became that, you know, wasn't terribly successful but you know was working mm. and then there was um the sort of national treasure type see, character yeah. actress who was looking for a way to supposedly um claim richard the third yeah so there were three very different voices if you like so i was able to um build each character from her particular monologues. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah, and then, of course, the other one was the the actual Shakespearean actor yes. who did the Richard monologues, but they, you know, that was a very little bit of the play. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a... It was just a, a gift, mm. you know. It was an absolute joy to work with Kate and Philip and um, and it was a beautiful bit of writing from both of them because they both wrote it and then Philip right. directed it yeah. Um, uh, and yeah just to have the opportunity to tell a story that Kate and I have been talking about mm. for a long time because I have the same impairment as Richard III um, it was sort of an obvious discussion to have um, and uh, and then it oh, message um, yeah and then the um, oh brain's gone um, you're talking about um, the correlation between Richard III and yourself and that connection oh, yeah, yeah, and so drawing those um, parallels Yeah, so it was, it was telling 
my story. Well, it wasn't bits of my story. Mm. But as Kate's always was writing monologues, she she uses bits of people's real stories, but then um, fictionalizes them. Yeah. So it wasn't Sarah Beer's story. There were bits of Sarah Beer in the story, but mm. I was playing somebody else. Yeah. Um, which really confused people when they came to see it, <laughs> because um, mm. school friends, you know, came to see it, and then they'd be saying, um, but I don't remember us seeing a, a screening of Richard the Third in school. Yeah. Like, I, I missed that day. And it's like, no, there wasn't. No. I... And it was, you know, also my nan. You know, people, people say, your nan wasn't like that. No, yeah. it wasn't my nan. It was a fictional nan. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I think it's it... so well written that you think that it's got to be autobiographical but it's it wasn't and that's the case with a lot of kids work I mean you know with the demonologues especially uh, in, in Water and Weightless some people think that that stuff is verbatim and it just shows the quality of the writing that's, yeah and the yeah. Qu- quality of the characterization of some people the people think that that comes I mean it does come from real experiences but, yeah, it just shows the quality of the writing in that respect. Um, speaking of In Water I'm Weightless, you, yeah. you shadowed John McGrath as an original director. I did for that, yeah. Um, what did you learn from being a part of that, and what was it like to be part of the cultural Olympiad? Oh, it was it was a brilliant project, um, and yeah, it was a fantastic group of actors to work with, um, and yeah, because it was National Theatre Wales, it was yeah. a really fantastic production team as well. Um, so it was, you know, the sort of when it comes down to production values and everything, it was the biggest production I worked on okay um so yeah it was it was a fantastic time the um it's yeah it was it was interesting working with John I mean I learned loads um but it's it's very different when you're putting together a series of monologues into a you know a theatrical setting as opposed to just sitting on a stool. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's a different way to direct than it is if you're doing a linear narrative play, mm-hmm. um, where you've got very strong characters leading the piece, or you know a storyline. Um, so, so even though you know that made it different, uh, it meant that because John directed, um, did a lot of directing the cast members on their own, so mm. he'd have different techniques for getting the actors to find their voice for that particular monologue, so that it yeah. was different to the next one they did. So from that point of view, it was really good because it wasn't. John using the same techniques 
all the way through a piece. Um, yeah. Because it was the same piece, you know, he was different, trying different methods, and so um, yeah, so I learned a lot. So that it was, uh, it was just brilliant being um, in the room with everybody and seeing it all come together. Because of course Kate was there, and yeah. uh, and have the the sign language interpreters and the whole extra layer that that brought to the production. In terms of directing that and directing the sign language interpretation of the integrated access, um, does that take kind of is a lot of, is a lot of attention paid to that in terms of the direction of the piece? Um yeah, I mean I think that that's that's the way it's trying to decide which sort of formats work best for which monologue because as you probably know now having seen integrated theatre not everything suits one that one um, access to yeah yeah so you know sometimes it's much better to have sign language going on and other times it's better to have captioning so there's because you know we were working on it right from the start there were those discussions about what's going to fit the style best here and are we going to have um, the interpreters films for this piece or are they going to be on stage with Sophie or, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah so that just brought a whole other layer to... Um, it, it's that thing of it... The production generally. It's that thing of it being integrated and they are creative tools rather than yeah. just access tools, you know? Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a way that you can use them creatively that enhances what the piece is oh, absolutely. trying to do. Yeah. And, it, and it was, you know, it was a really exciting visual show because mm. you never quite knew where the... the um, Sina was going to pop up, whether she was going to be lit on this fantastic balloon that we had, you know, we had a stage was covered in balloons and um, big balloon, big cylinders yeah. rather than, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so whether they were going to pop up in there, whether they're going to be on a screen or whether they're going to be live on the stage. So there were lots of options and, and it did vary as to what we thought was going to be the best for that particular monologue um and it was and it was you know taking it up it was great doing it in the wmc and then of course we took it up to the personnel room in london for the uh for the festival yeah um, yeah and that was just a, a real treat there was such a buzz in london in 2012 as long as you didn't mind getting asked every ten minutes what <laughs> what sort of Paralympian sport you did, because <laughs> if somebody's passed you on the pavement and you were disabled first, oh, okay. yeah, you're yeah, you're, a, you know, you're an athlete. Did, your sport. did that actually happen to you? It did happen. Yeah. What did happened. you say? I hope you made it up. Yeah, it happened to my. To my husband a couple of times right. in the wheelchair user and uh yeah <laughs> he was like do i look like an athlete <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was a good, it was a good time to be up there. Yeah, and and just that that kind of festival of disability arts and the kind of visibility of disability <laughs> arts seemed to be kind of blossoming at that time. I'm... Yeah, it's just it's just a shame it didn't stay around for a bit longer. Oh, definitely. All that, all that excitement and promises of what it was going to lead to. It's it's a thing of it's not just about people like us promoting it. We need kind of as as disappointing as it is, you need people higher up who are generally not disabled to kind of yeah. say, you know, this work is of a good standard. It's not yeah. kind of talk tokenistic, which it can often no, be. That's right. No, I'm not what we need here is is um you know, people not saying, Oh, we've done disability now. Yeah. yeah. We did that in twenty twelve. We've worked with uh, Mark Fraser, we've worked with this car, it's fine. We've done it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, <laughs> and it felt very much like mm. that's what people have been saying ever since twenty twelve really. Yeah. It's like, well we made an effort it was an awful lot of hassle and uh, yeah, but you know, we're not doing it again. Because it so was, it seems to get yeah. It's reminding people that we're still here and um, you know, we have got a lot to offer and people are writing a lot of, um, a lot of new work and you know, this is, mm. we've got lots of things to say. There are some disabled artists out there, it's just about yeah. getting a platform or having that platform and kind of I I sent it into theatre Nanog um and I had a meeting with Gain is lovely. I love Gain of Styles to Theatre Nanog. Oh yeah, yeah. Um and I I went in and this is the first time and she said, Oh I didn't know you were disabled because I didn't tell her an email. So I think oh, right. I don't know whether there's a perception thing about you know the quality of work that we can make or like that that we kind of exist within the theatre industry still. I don't know whether there's a thing of yeah. I mean, there is there is that big discussion, is there? Isn't there about do we need to always say mm. even you know even you know to sort of out and proud disabled yeah. people, do we always say, oh, we're disabled, we come from this political yeah. world, if you like. Um, and and it is interesting when you when you suddenly go, oh, they don't know. Especially at the, at the moment where via Zoom and stuff, mm. you know, when people can't, see how short I am, I'm sort of thinking, oh, if I actually get to meet you, you'll be really yeah. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's also that thing, that yeah. thing. But it is that thing, it's like when, I mean, and, you know, why should we have to consider when do we admit to somebody yeah. that we're disabled and so we're coming from this angle or, uh, or, we, or, or, or you know, not saying it and then made to feel as though we should have warned them mm. in some way. You know, I, I, think, I think as if they have to be 
prepared. Yeah. That they wouldn't have to be if you'd said, oh, do you know I'm a bloke? Exactly. <laughs> 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 okay, I mean, there's stuff around access, but apart from that, generally, you know, yeah, what, so what, why... That's all people need to know. Yeah. That's all, that's all we ask at Disability Arts Cymru, is we don't ask what your impairment is, we just mm. say, do you have any access requirements? Yeah. You know, mm. and that's all we need to know. We don't need to know anybody's medical... Nobody needs to know anybody's medical history. And that's and that's why, you know, we're... Um, you know, we work within the social model of disability, mm. but it's... And we have been 30 years, and it's yeah. still really difficult to get people to understand companies that are not traditionally disabled-led um, in terms I think, of I working with still, disabled artists. There's still some fear, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think it's... I mean, it's not so much, oh, I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to... Um, what language I need to use, that sometimes comes up, what language you need to use to talk to somebody, but it's more to do with, um, I think, you know, the sort of, oh, how much, how much it's, how much is it going to cost? Right. You know, uh, what efforts, what extra things are we going to have to do? Yeah. Um, and And once, you know, that's why it's so important that we get, disabled artists to integrate as much as possible um, and go work with mainstream companies mm. so they can see that actually it's no it's, you know nine times out of ten it really isn't a huge problem no. there isn't anything to be worried about you haven't got to make huge allowances for people you know you might need um, to change the layout of a room so mm. that the wheelchair user can get round. You might need to employ a signer for certain meetings, but you know, it's. I think there's just this myth. Yeah. If you say disabled person, people think, oh, that's going to be really difficult. Yeah. And it's going to be, and it's going to be really expensive, and uh, and I've never done it before, and I don't know what to do. And also that. 
not to. Our panic comes before they've actually asked the disabled person that they're going to employ, oh, what are your access requirements? Yeah, yeah, if you get as far as getting to an interview, yeah. and you can say, actually, this is all I need, mm. you know, you've got a really good chance of getting in. It's because they put up the, you know, the barriers are there mm. before you get to the being able to actually talk to somebody about yeah what your access requirements might be and how straightforward it is to employ you. How much further do you think we need to go in Wales? Do you know, how how can the art scene in Wales kind of become more accessible and more inclusive? What do you think we need to be doing as well, disabled we artists? To get, we need to get disabled people, like yourself, in positions of, um, you know, decision-making yeah. positions. You know, it's, it's, it's great. Taking Flight does brilliant stuff, employs lots of um, disabled actors um, and is you know, really good on access yeah. generally. Um, but we need, we need all the, the producing venues to have somebody either on staff or at board level or, you know, in England now the theatres have got the agents for change. Yeah. And what we'd really like at that is to see companies like the Sherman um, having agent, agents for change. Yeah, the problem is, goodness knows what That's, the state of yeah. the theatre is going to be after lockdown. Um, but, but yeah, until you can get disabled people into venues and um, the change come from within... Uh, you know, there's still an awful long way to go. I mean, yeah. you know, people are more open to talking about it, and that's a good start. Um, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done just uh, to take up the barriers and the fear. And, mm. and uh, we need, you know, we do something we desperately do need is more disabled writers writing about. Um, you know the lived experience yeah. of disability and getting different different messages out there um, uh, that aren't you know aren't tragic but brave stories that are just stories yeah. that disabled people might that anybody would want to hear to but has a different angle because it's written from the perspective of lived experience of disability and that's kind of a box that I want to fill you know, in my way, yeah. that's something that I want yeah. think I can do. It's just about kind of, you know, but more, more often than not, you're sending this work to non-disabled directors who don't have that, have, maybe haven't seen that viewpoint before, and maybe are not going to understand where that kind of comes from. It's, yeah. about, it's about getting through that, and it's difficult to kind of, even if you're portraying a realistic experience, you know, there are certain people who are not going to believe that because of the biases that they have, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's hard because, 
um, you know, directors and theatre companies are after quite often a sort of political, a, 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 a particular sort of story, and mm. under sort of um, a disabled storyline might. Again, it goes back to feeling uncomfortable. It goes back to people saying, "Oh, I, I can't direct this because I've got no experience of it." Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's like I don't know if you saw um, Casualty on Saturday. No, I didn't. They had um, they had a, a storyline about um, a death, two deaf characters, right. um, and the story was written by two deaf writers and then they got a deaf director in to direct that particular storyline right. um and it was brilliant it was such a good storyline and really powerful um and you just knew that the, the right people had been involved in putting mm. it together so it's so that's why companies like grey eye are still really important yeah um and that's why we need more voices in in universities and colleges as well. Definitely, because you know, because the, students still aren't taught enough about what's out there, what's been written by disabled writers. Mm. You know, um, how to make work accessible. There's such a huge range. I think we of that still need to be covered. We were so lucky in, in uni that we had Kate come in and we had Tom Wentworth come in, you yeah. know. And that was not only important for me, um, but for everyone else in my class. Yeah, absolutely. To see that this, yeah, that this work yeah. exists. Yeah, and, and you know, places are getting better. Yeah. Um, and there's still a lot of work to be done. And It'd be nice if it didn't feel like a sort of add-on or something that mm. students have got a, a particular, you know, an interest for whatever reason. Yeah. Something go, oh, can we get somebody in, you know, I like should be offered. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to think that the only reason that Tom and Kate came in was because I was in the past. I would have hoped that they would have come no, in no, even no, if no, I no, wasn't there. But it's just yeah. that I think in some places, um, uh, I was talking to um, Max, my son went to Mui in Bristol. Okay, my brother went there. Oh, did he? Yeah. I, I was talking to the head of drama when we went for the open day, and I said, "Oh, do you do you do anything around um, disabled writing or you know?" Um, perform shows by disabled yeah. writers and uh, and he went oh only if um only if it's of an interest to the particular member of staff mm. he said we had somebody once who um who came from a disability art uh, had a disability arts experience um so she did a bit about disability but that's just because it was her thing nobody else yeah. does it so you just think, well, so it's not discussed because it's like, you know, it's like saying, oh, well, men wouldn't 
talk about mm. plays written by women. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, or direct it, plays by women, or, you know what I mean? It's like... It's the equivalent so you, of that. So unless you're a disabled teacher, you ain't going to talk about disability arts in, or any level. It's just bonkers, you know, because young people need to know, especially if you've got some young disabled actors in your class. Yeah. You know, you need to talk about what's out there. But still, there's a problem of, you know, admissions to drama schools of disabled actors. That needs to improve. Accessibility needs to improve. You know, yeah. all, the, all these things need to be implemented before that can happen, unfortunately. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and can there's I... There's a lot to do, Kieran. How do you think disabled artists are going to be affected post-Covid, you know? Especially as yeah. a lot of us are going to be kind of more vulnerable. And is, do you think there's going to be less work made by disabled artists because of... Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a real worry. Um, because at the moment, you know, everybody's um, doing stuff online and people are feeling connected where they've got yeah. Decent broadband connection, you know. Um, putting that aside for a minute. Um, so, uh, you know, it's sort of like, oh, it's great, I can get involved because I haven't, I can, don't have to worry about going out. Um, yeah. Because nobody is. But it, it is a real worry that um, when people, when things start opening up a bit more, that disabled people, for whatever reason, are gonna feel like they're being left behind and not mm. not considered. So, you know, the, the "We Shall Not Be Removed" campaign yeah. um, is really strong, and I think having that there as a reminder that there are hundreds, thousands of disabled creatives. Um, who want to make work and are perfectly capable of making mm. work after lockdown, um, but it's you know it is it is a worry because the whole arts world um, is is scared of what's happening. Yeah. Um, so if you've got the people who got the loaded voices being worried you know it's not surprising that same people who feels like it might be another year before there's a vaccine and i can actually get out exactly um, and it, it is a worry so we you know we just need to keep reminding people as loudly as possible that we're here and i think you know finding finding ways amongst ourselves to keep the work in the public eye and doing as many yeah. projects as possible so that disabled people feel involved so they it's not going to be quite so much of a, a leap mm. if we when people can start getting out and if we can things. if we can get our work out there in digital formats or like continue yeah. writing and you know 
just any way that there's able artists can kind of showcase what they can do. Yeah. Even if they can't get into can't get into buildings or can't leave their houses because of their yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, people have been really surprised at how well um, running workshops and things have, ha how well they've gone online. Yeah. I think, you know, when we first went to lockdown, everybody was like, oh, Zoom meetings, not sure, not sure mm. how they're going to work, not sure, what, you know. And now everybody does them yeah. all the time and get, they get more and more complicated and, <laughs> you know, it's... Um, it's it kind of just about... It, it's the whole new way of working, but I think some people it's been quite a revelation as to how much can be achieved and mm. um that just needs to continue really and we yeah it definitely needs to continue and, you know we were saying when we do because we had our the launch of our um arts prize last week right. for our um visual arts prize and then our creative word award uh, and you know, the artists are based all over Wales um, and originally we were going to have an event in, in Cardiff to launch it all um, which would have been lovely but we had an event online instead um, so we had a hundred people at the Zoom event and yeah. everybody was able to be there Yeah, you know, didn't have to worry about getting up at six o'clock in the morning to get a train down from North Wales Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and we were saying, you know, we hope we will be going back to events with more than of course, six people. Yeah. But we will now probably always have some sort of online invite as well for people that can't make the journey or, you know. Which connects people from North Wales to people from South Wales and it yeah. brings the country together yeah. in a way that we And then, you know, who knows, we do projects with Europe and yeah exactly yeah I, yeah I went to um the write for word poems and pints at the Queen's uh zoom event last right. week and there were poets from Sweden and uh Ireland yeah and Assam you know it was wow just, <laughs> yeah yeah. It's amazing. It does yeah. bring people together. Yeah. The the last thing I want to ask you is, what advice would you give, kind of someone like me who's just starting out in the industry, or kind of what advice would you like to have been given when you started out? I th well, I think the main thing is. Um, which is for, you know, any artist, whether regardless of impairment, mm. um, it's just, you know, stick at it. If it's what you really want to do, don't be disheartened because there'll be, there'll be knockbacks, but it's, it's, you know, keep plodding on, getting your voice out, network as much as you can, you know, just knock on people's doors or iPads, you know, and yeah. just, yeah, it really is, it's just trying to keep your, a higher profile as possible, and, yeah. you know, so do, you know, your podcast is brilliant, keep doing things like that, do a, as much, even if it's just 
little two-minute videos of things, yeah. get them out on social media, find other platforms to get your voice heard, and yeah, and just you know, attend as many sort of group discussion things as you can, and yeah. Um, yeah, and when you've got you know when you've got something that's happened that's successful, just just you've just got to plug it as much. Yeah. You know, public. I mean, it's not easy public publicizing yourself. No. It's... You know, some some people are, do it naturally, and other people really struggle. I personally always struggled because mm. I and my sort of default position was, oh, they're not going to want to hear from me. Because yeah. it, it does sometimes um, feel like, oh... It took, it took me a long time to yeah. go, no, no, they, they should. They should be employing me. I will send them my CV. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is that thing of just... A, a lot of it comes from having that self-confidence and, yeah. and having and, the confidence and, to And it's not easy having no. self-confidence when you've, you know, you've spent years being told that it's not going to happen for you no. because of Y and Z. Yeah. Um, it's it's really hard to keep knocking on doors and and saying, "Excuse me, I have got something to say, and I do think you mm. really ought to listen." Um, but that's that's what you've got to do, you know. Yeah. It's fight your corner, um, and and you know, if you've got if you've got the talent and the determination. You will, you will get there. Mm. I'm convinced that you know. Yeah. The, the people that get there, the ones that just keep saying, "This is what I'm doing. I'm a writer. I am going to write work, and people are going to put it on. Put, and they're um, going to listen to me." Well. So. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it's. No, you know, you've yeah. got you've got loads of talent here, in, and. Um, and it is just finding that that one company that goes, oh, I really like what this what this person's saying. Thank you, Sarah. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you for your Oh, it's been lovely talking to you, Kieran. Thanks to everyone for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of In Lockdown With. But for now, it's bye from me and bye from Sarah. Bye, yeah, bye everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.